Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Till, Rasmus and David. But you don't know who they are, I'll let them introduce themselves. David, why don't you t- um, take us off? Hey, thanks. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is David Moore. Uh, I am currently uh, the uh, commercial lead for uh, Easy Park's um, EV proposition. So uh, many of you will know Easy Park across Europe. Uh, we have an EV charging service, uh, and my role is to try and uh, kind of grow that <clears throat> that proposition across the rest of Europe. Uh, and into the US. Uh, prior to that, I was head of product at, uh, at Ringo, which was kind of Easy Park's uh, UK brand. Uh, so I was head of product there for, for 18 months, um, building up that pos- uh, that uh, organization post COVID, and, uh, and then the integration with, with the wider Easy Park organization during the merger. And previous to that, I've spent probably eight to 10 years working uh, in a travel technology sector. So working on the SaaS uh, software as a service and uh, product as a um, platform as a service uh, uh, travel technology sector. So that's me, my background. Um, I guess I'll hand over to uh, Rasmus. Thank you, David. And I've been a prolific user of Easy Park. So uh... Fairly familiar with it. <laughs> so, Rasmus Minge, I'm a Chief Product Officer at Bamboozer, um, which is a video commerce service um, that helps you basically bring all your videos to life and make them transactionable. Um, I've been in the product management world for around 20 years, plus minus, uh, different kind of uh, startup companies here in Europe. Um, so, Bamboozer now, prior to that, at Plan Day in Denmark. And I spent uh, also 15 years of my career at Salesforce, um, 20 of uh, my years almost, I was in the US at Oracle and Salesforce as well in different engineering and product roles. Um, so I've been in this kind of interesting uh, world of building products in new categories and new areas. Um, and I was early at Salesforce, so I think it was a pretty new area to introduce software as a service there. Um, and now, yeah, I moved to Stockholm, enjoying the cold weather up here north, and uh, um, excited about bringing video to life and every single commerce experience we can make it live in. And I'll hand it over to you, Till. Yeah, thank you very much, Rasmus. So my name is uh, Till Rifford. I'm a senior director of product at Delivery Hero, so one of the world's largest uh, leading delivery platforms, active in more than 70 uh, countries. So quite an international company with quite a large footprint. I've been in product for more than 10 years, have been in startups as well as a few larger companies such as OLX and Zolando. And I'm very excited about today's topic because we're gonna speak about product culture. And I think that that is, yeah, just it's a topic that's very close to my heart. Hi everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, a Nordic's Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. 
actually, let me just uh, kick off with like, uh, yeah, my thoughts on, on product culture so that we can get into the topic. So to me, uh, product culture really embodies the, the core principles and beliefs that, that guide product development. For example, things like working backwards from the customer, focusing on outcomes uh, over uh, output, or also the, a big focus on experimentation. I mean, I've built multiple uh, A-B testing platforms inside of large companies. So that really is something that uh, I believe is core to a good uh, product culture. But one thing that I've noticed, especially in larger organizations is that this culture can sometimes be very heavily influenced by different frameworks and tools. And actually almost to the point where these um, methodologies and their byproducts define the culture themselves. So where it's more about the proper way to apply a specific framework than it is about the idea behind uh, the framework. And in my experience, this can lead to quite some yeah, superficial imitations, some type of cargo culting where you're only going through the motions to really uh, without really knowing why you're doing these things. And I'm really curious to hear from this group, how do you actually go about fostering a, a healthy product culture while avoiding these pitfalls? And specific, specifically something that I would refer to as kind of the, the framework trap, where the product culture is more about the framework than it is about doing the right things for the customer. I love that question, Till. I think, uh... I've seen this a couple of times in my career, but it's super important, I think, to uh, to think about the value and the end point. Like, what are you trying to produce? What's the value and the outcome you want to deliver versus the process? In my opinion, the framework or the process is about creating quality and allowing people to uh, follow some steps to create quality products. But the process should never be more important than the, the value and the outcome uh, you create for your customers. Yeah, I mean, look, I'd, I'd support that. I think um, outcome being outcome focused is 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 the key, the kind of key piece of that. Um, I mean, maybe I can offer my experience of of, of seeing those frameworks uh, implemented. So I can think of a couple of examples. Well, I've, I've worked in a large organisation previously where uh, a big framework was introduced, um, and uh, I think uh, introduced relatively successfully. And I, and I think the leadership got the outcomes they desired, more predictability, more collaboration, uh, and more visibility of where their, their dollars were being spent. <clears throat> so introducing that framework, I think initially had, had benefits that the, the, the business had looked to, uh, looked to get out of it. I think as that moved forward, exactly what you've outlined perhaps happened somewhat. Uh, they didn't uh, they didn't iterate on, on the setup. Uh, there was too much reliance on this is the format and the structure and this is how we will follow it. And, and I think perhaps some of that value eroded over time. Um, uh, so uh, I, 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 do see, I do see value in some of these frameworks. I think about how they're applied. I always think there's a happy medium, right? They're, they're brought in for a reason. I think if they're over applied, uh, it's not particularly positive. Uh, um, but then I've seen the other side of that where, <clears throat> you know, you, you perhaps don't uh, have enough structure as an organization grows. Uh, you don't have enough structure and, and the reverse happens, right? You don't have the predictability. Uh, you know, you don't have the, the, uh, the visibility of, of, of perhaps where all of your money is going. 
but you do see more innovation because the team aren't working in such a structured environment. They can be more autonomous. They can come up with creativity. Uh, they can be more creative. <clears throat> so, so there is a, there is a flip side of a, a positive flip side of, of having less structure. But then you know you you run into duplicate delivery and 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 uh, unseen uh, blockers and uh, dependency. So uh, I do see the value in having it. I think um, um, you know there is. There are plus, there's a happy medium somewhere, I think, for, for most most organisations. Um, while I've got the mic, I might just answer the second part of your question, if that's all right, which I think was about <clears throat> how, do, how, how do we see product uh, culture? The one thing I would say I think is really important, we, we talk about frameworks and installation of these frameworks and adherence to them. I think quite often when, when, when those things are instilled into a business or set up within a business, particularly the bigger the business, I think, what what you what's easy to do is forget about the individuals within a product organization and i think a big learning i had maybe from my my uh, previous role was just how different individuals can be right so you know i had a product team that are different in personality in approach in uh, uh you know uh, how how they want to work and so, you know, you could have one uh, within the same organization, you can have one product manager who wants complete autonomy. And it's brilliant with, with complete autonomy. Like they go off and they speak to the marketing team and the commercial team and the, all of the stakeholders and they bring in information from the, you know, the users and, and all of that kind of stuff with just a simple, I want this outcome, off you go. And then the other side of the spectrum is those individuals who, who need structure, who need process, who need to understand how they get from point A, that is the starting point today, and the outcome that I want to see, you know, X number of months down the line, uh, and they need to know how to get there and they need the structure and the guidance. And so what works for one doesn't necessarily work for the other. You know, you give the one that wants autonomy, hey, I want all of your data in this tool or this product or this framework, and they hate it. They feel stifled and suffocated. And the other, you know, the, the one that likes the structure, you can say, hey, go, go, can you just go and look at this thing for me? Right. And a week later, they're in meltdown because they've no idea where to start, who to speak to, where to input it. So uh, I think two things here. One, one, one is the happy medium uh, in terms of the, the framework. And two is not to forget the individuals and the individual needs of product managers and how important that is to, uh, to get right, uh, as well as the, the frameworks. Yeah, when speaking about this, uh, this happy medium and especially this focus on the people, do you think it has to do with the seniority of your, your product organization as well? Or uh, do you think it's really just tied to, uh, to the individuals? Because one thing that I've ex especially experienced in this uh, regard is that when you have people who are quite new to product management or uh, yeah, quite junior in the roles, they will oftentimes stick to these frameworks more tightly because it's kind of like a, yeah, a, a guardrail. So that you basically have know what to do, you know steps to follow, just uh, that, yeah, what I mentioned in the beginning that sometimes getting to the right uh, outcome isn't really clear. And then as a follow up, uh, maybe there when focusing on the people, um how do you really make sure that people understand the the purpose of, of the framework so i'll, I'll take a, an example of this uh, OKRs is a, a framework that i've yeah, been using for many years in very different uh, companies and of course you can apply that with very different uh, so you can really go by the book and say well if it's uh, if it's not measurable it can't be a key result uh, um, even though in some cases it's more about 
aligning an organization and really making sure that everyone understands what needs to be done. I can. Uh, I think like the first part of the question. I think you have junior and senior people that that behave and act differently, right? And then you have their ability and attitude and how they can drive change in the organization. And I see sometimes junior people they need a little more guidance and hand holding. But um, you also have small companies and large companies. So people who've been in large company for a long time they don't know how to operate without a framework or guidance around them. So the process become way more important to them than driving innovation. And I think if you're in a small company that is out to create a market or do something innovative, you you really need to be flexible, right? And the process is there to help you create quality and move things along and make sure everybody works the same way. But at the end of the day, we are here to drive value, whether you have metrics, OKRs or whatever you're doing, like you are there to drive value for your shareholders or for your management team. The process is just the guidance. To me, it doesn't matter. It's really the outcome of every individual, every team, and how we can together kind of go in the right direction to drive value. Um, but you need structure. Otherwise, it's like anarchy. But the structure does help help tie things together. And I think, for example, how I hire, I look at the attitude. I don't look where you are. It's kind of the potential of where you can go. And what is your attitude, right? I would strongly support that, Rasmus. I think the mentality of the product managers is is probably more important than than the experience. I think even experienced product managers actually probably get tainted sometimes, or their views get tainted the longer they've been in a organisation or with an organisation with a with a certain structure or a certain framework. So I don't think it's just the new, you know, maybe new, use the wrong word, inexperienced product managers. I think the experienced ones sometimes package is the wrong word but they bring you know they bring their doubts about a system or a process with them right so even if you try and introduce something oh, i've done that before i hated it I don't want to do that right so um <clears throat> so yeah I, I i don't think this is a, a an inexperienced experience concession i think it's i agree with rasmus i think it's a mentality that mentality to understand yes we appreciate you as an individual but you're part of a bigger organization you're part of a bigger team you know um as, as a product leader i have to have conversations that involve you you putting your information in the right structure and the right framework, um, you know, but but giving you the same autonomy at the same time, or or, or you know, an inexperienced people. Hey, I need this from you because this is why, right? This is what it leads to, and I know you don't like putting uh, stuff down in writing or blah blah. I, so so the mentality of the individuals to be able to see perhaps the bigger picture. I think as a leader, you have to explain the bigger picture, right? This is why our shareholders want to do this. This is why the CPO or the CCO or the MD want this particular thing done. And this is where I'm going to use that, right? Uh, and I agree. The, the mentality of those individuals, I think, is, um, uh, is, is probably more key than experience. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to be honest, I also absolutely agree on that point. So the, the, the attitude to, to drive value is probably the the most important kind of uh, aspect of the the product mindset to, to look for when when hiring product uh, managers the, this attitude to well ask why a lot and then uh, ask that why a lot with the the goal of actually driving value for yeah for the customer for the company or yeah for the shareholders there yeah a, a wide array of personalities to drive value for yeah I think like positivity too, right? You need to take somebody who drives a positive message in the company. We can do more. We can do amazing things together. I think that's what excites me about technology. There's so many things that's never been done. 
So bringing people in that see more problems than solution, that to me drives like, you know, negativity and doesn't help us with like amazing positive outcomes that's going to really grow the business, right? And help like, how do you positively talk to a customer about a bug or an issue? How do you politely and in a positive way tell a customer you're never going to build what they want because you have other priorities? So again, I think it, you have somebody with like a great mindset about, okay, we can do anything and they get everybody else to kind of follow along, right? So I think that's the exciting thing about building, in my opinion. Exactly. This ties in very closely to the this value creation in, in my view, because basically, if you have a, a mindset around value creation, you also always have the positivity of finding at like the, the place where you can now discover the value or the, the, the route that you, you need to go. Yeah. I like it, but maybe um, I'll add in a, in a kind of a question answer here or some thoughts from my perspective as well, but just what I've seen in my past as well around innovation and how I also see a lot of companies struggling um, delivering innovation because you end up having a product where you make incremental value to what you're doing. So I'm making it incrementally better, but you forget to pivot or out innovate the market. I think for most of us, we have competitors and quite fierce and quite uh, uh, hungry competitors who's trying to eat our market share, eat our products, copy us, do whatever they can. And it's super, maybe not super easy, but it's quite easy for a small company to innovate because it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. Um, so I think as you grow and mature a bit in an organization, one of the things that um, I'm trying to instill is this kind of beginner's mind and ability to go and um, pivot into new areas of product to stop what you're doing to move in and do something new and exciting so you get something to talk about in the market. And I think it's really hard for product organization or product leadership as well to say, okay, I'm not going to innovate very much in my main product that's driving the majority of our revenue because I'm going to focus on areas where the future is going to drive even more money for us. I don't know if any of you have any experience on that or perspective on that piece as well. I mean, I, I can I can try and answer. answer. I can offer an opinion. Um, I can, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm going to maybe disagree, partly disagree with you a little bit, maybe. I, 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 I kind of think that smaller scale <laughs> excuse me that smaller scale innovation could should perhaps lead to those kind of uh, bigger uh, you know market disrupting you know value proposition redefining <clears throat> changes that you're talking about um i if if it's done correctly i think you know for for me innovation uh, isn't just something that happens it can happen organically and naturally but actually i think it's something you you have to give thought to in your organization. So whether that's, I don't know, a, an innovation sprint at the end of a cycle or a, a hackathon quarterly, or I don't know, Friday beers around a whiteboard with stakeholders from the business, like whatever it is in your business, I think innovation has to be, uh, it has to be structured. And that sounds weird for innovation, structured innovation uh, uh, kind of um, uh, periods, right? Or something that, enables people to get together and have these creative conversations. So I think that's important. And I think it's also important to measure it, right? So, you know, innovation is not going to happen the first session you have, right? It's unlikely you're going to have a market changing idea first time round. So these constant, you know, setting aside 
time aside in your business to to have these innovative conversations and idea sessions and whatever it is i think i think are really important um and i think if you're doing it right you know you, you kill the ideas that don't work right so you try something you do some a b testing or whatever it is and it doesn't work well you've learned that's a learning right i think that's the key thing as a product leader you know failure is learning right it, it happens um but i think you have to take those good ideas those ones that are successful and then build upon those so my um my my thought process would be you know you <clears throat> you release half a dozen uh capabilities to market right and <clears throat> two of them fail completely and two are okay but you have two that that that, that shift the needle on whatever it is you're looking to do you know they drive five percent more business to your website or they see revenues by eight percent or whatever it is it, it has a positive impact and 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 oh, so by the way these have to be measurable right in order to be worthwhile these innovations so so you see this you see this uh, increase in sales or whatever it is from from your new capability and you build upon that you get customer feedback you look at the metrics you understand uh, you know what was the gap in the market that this small innovation exposed right that we didn't see before and then we build on it again so you know uh, capability f and g were brilliant well why were they brilliant right well because they allowed our, our business to do this and this Oh, brilliant. So what if we what if we added something to that? Oh, yeah, that would be even better. Let's do it. You know, and then your customer comes to you and said, hey, you know, if it did these two things as well, we, we would pay for that. Right. You know, well, you'd have to pay for it because it's going to cost us money to develop it specifically for you. Right. So then you suddenly you have this new capability that's slightly different from your original value proposition. You've built out on it. And I don't know, maybe customers then subscribe to it, right, to the rest of your customer base. And so what you've done is taken a small innovation or something that, that, that you know, you, you weren't sure whether it would work. And you've, you've taken the data and you've spoken to the customers and you expose that into the market. And that slowly becomes your, you know, your new value proposition or your competitive edge or something you can expose in the market that nobody else has done. I think so for me, those small incremental innovations are intrinsically linked to bigger changes in your value proposition and 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 what you can do in the market and that that would be my my thoughts behind it yeah i think this is a, a really interesting topic and i think it's a, a topic that i i don't really think any company has completely figured out at this point at least uh, uh, yeah this this trade-off between kind of also incremental uh incremental innovation and really moonshots and the, the the big topics that really have a chance to 10x something because of course with uh, incremental changes you're kind of bound to some uh, local optimum that you're kind of close by at the moment uh, the difficulty just with moonshots where you really yeah kind of move to a different optimum is that it you have this lead time in which you don't really know if it will work out or not. So you, you're kind of, you have this constant question of, should I continue investing in this and will it at some point work? That's at least my uh, experience with, with innovation and where you have this, this difficult uh, problem of, okay, you, you measure it, but well, you, you have no, your KPI shows zero for a long time until all of a sudden it starts to work and actually is something groundbreaking. And I think small companies, have it a little bit easier in that space of really doing something where they yeah invest into something for a, a longer time or at least it's tried a lot more because if i look at uh, like the the latest big innovations in llms or something like that 
that technology has been around for a while and it was kind of a lingering thing that no one really knew when it would uh, would start working and now that it started to, to work everyone sees the potential but i'm very sure that a lot of uh, yeah innovation that went into that direction was killed off in between just because yeah it was not measurable in terms of its impact and so really how do you kind of balance between incremental improvements which i think most companies do a lot of and then the the real big uh, kind of game-changing innovation I think maybe to add on what also what David you mentioned and uh, I think there's a big um, difference between like if I set my product roadmap and make an incremental improvement based on my roadmap, I can see a path to innovation. If I end up in a sales-led kind of situation where the company is driven by sales, coming back with requests, committing to doing changes for customers, it basically means that I can't get the freedom to innovate with my product. It doesn't have to be massive, like, hey, I invented a new iPhone. It would be nice if I did. But, you know, I don't have to innovate like the biggest thing. But if I don't have control of my roadmap because other parts of the organization is eating up time and capacity and forcing you down a path, I think that actually leads to, that's what I mean a little bit about driving innovation um, in that regards. And I think a lot of companies... Um, especially smaller companies that start putting in like nice big logos to their portfolio suddenly are forced to do work for those companies um, because financially and from a local brand perspective, they're so tied into them that you lose the opportunity to innovate um, because they tie up so much capacity on on your in your organization. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I understand. I mean, maybe hold that thought. I think I'll I'll we'll, I'll come back to that in 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 a minute. But I think yeah, look, uh, my my perspective I think is probably based on the experiences I've had, and, and you know, and I, I've seen an organisation, been part of an organisation where you know they they've gone for a moonshot and been very confident. And this is years ago when things were much more waterfall than they are um, today. But you know, and, and banking on changing you know the market uh, and and it falling flat because there wasn't enough gradual incremental improvements and you know it's 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 painful to be part of something that was like that but 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 it's a very good learning experience and I guess you know you look around the market I mean Bezos didn't go out to sort of say well I'm going to change the way the western world shops right you know he was selling ebooks right to begin with and and you know, that's an extreme example of course and you can say something similar about apple and telecommunications but <clears throat> these these the, the, I guess my point here was is is if you can't innovate quickly to get to that point then then you know uh, as as till says maybe a happy medium is is to is to try and make sure you've got the proof points uh, regularly in between where you are today and and, and whatever that that moonshot is that you're that you're looking for. Um, if if you're going for a big bang change to the market, then uh, clearly having fuck um, uh, I don't want to say face gates that sounds very two thousand. Uh, you know uh, um, uh, benchmarks to hit along the way um, and proof points with 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 the stakeholders I think is critical. Yeah, no, I no, totally agree. I mean, it's uh, if there was an easy answer, we would just do it, right? <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Innovation, it, it's it's great when it works because it's hard, right? Um, yeah, so I also, if everyone's yeah, doing it, you get no competitive edge, of course. Exactly, but I also think innovation doesn't always mean you have to build a new product, right? You can repackage your product and say, oh, now look, I do uh, my product for a new industry. Same product, but repackaged, right? With 
with some flavor around it that's more interesting. And so I think it, innovation doesn't always have to be this big thing. It can also be so you're talking about finding a new customer base rather than innovating the product itself. Yeah, it depends on what you mean by innovation, right? Sure. Okay. Right. So no, I, think... I guess I hadn't thought about it that way. I thought, you know, I can see how changing the marketing message uh, can influence maybe share price and stakeholders if, you, if you're if you're you know uh, if you're a listed organization. Then, but but uh, yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about changing the innovating the market, your marketing in order to, to to find a new customer. So yeah, that's an interesting viewpoint. I mean, you could do. I mean. If I'm going to just uh, product manage your product, you know, I could do uh, easy parking for businesses. You might already have it, in, right? But you have easy park for consumer. You do easy park for businesses. We, we do, Rasmus. Thank you for the ah. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we have a very strong B2B product for anybody listening. Um, yeah, good. Cool. Well, if, if, if you'll indulge me, maybe I'll, I'll take you back to a point you, you made earlier. So, um, uh, it's something actually I wanted to ask you guys. So, I, I I have a supposition that that that, that product culture uh, is is intrinsically linked to the wider organization culture. Uh, and you know, whilst you can sort of, as we talked about earlier, about sort of uh, uh, managing individuals within your product organization and 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 trying to bring in <coughs> uh, structure uh, and and an ethos to work to, all of that stuff's great. But I I I truly believe. Uh, the product culture is, is is linked to the wider uh, organizational culture. And if I was to sort of offer an example of that, you touched on that being product-led uh, product led organization. And I think uh, it's really easy to say we're a product-led organization. Uh, but in reality, you know, where you are perhaps a smaller startup, scale-up organization, or you're an organization where you have really fine margins right you you are going to be driven by the sales team right and the commercial side of the business right you showing your stakeholders or your new investors that that you can make money drive revenues uh, bring in business uh, is critical you know and if you know winning that tender or winning that business uh, depends on delivering four or five capabilities uh, you know it, it is going to influence your roadmap so for me to have a product, you know, to, to be able to say, oh, we're a product-led organization and we have a real product-first culture, I believe you have to have buy-in from the rest of the business, from, from, from the leadership to the commercial side to the marketing. I, I don't think without that mentality across the business, uh, you can sort of truly say you're a product-led organization. And, and I, it's, a, it's a difficult balance, I think. Um, but, but for me, getting those stakeholders on board and agreeing to that, you know, because uh, it inevitably comes from the top down, right? You know, um, the sales leadership, the marketing leadership. Uh, for, for me, that's the, the, the two things are intrinsically linked, company culture and, and therefore being able to be product led. Um, but um, I'd be interested to know your, your thoughts, guys. Maybe before we go deeper in there, my question would be, how do you define product led? Because uh, I, it's one of these uh, words that uh, yeah I feel we we hear a lot in the, the the product context but yeah what do you really understand with product led? That's a good question. So for me for me it's about the product team uh, leading the business in a certain direction. So as a product organization we should know uh, we should know our product market fit, what our value proposition is, what our customers are looking for, who our customers are. 
you know, what they need. And so we're building a roadmap and a plan and a timeline, whatever you want to call it, of, of what we're delivering in order to drive uh, drive value for customers, right? Um, uh, we're not being dictated by the sales team or senior leadership that, hey, you, I need these 10 things to win this cu these customers this year. Actually, you know what, we're product led. So we're gonna go down this route because in 12 months time, we can see the market evolving and blah, 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 right? So the, the, the product team is steering the direction of the rest of the organization in terms of, hey, commercial team, this is what we're doing. These are what we need you guys to go out and sell. Marketing team, this is what we need you to go and market, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, so for me, product-led is, is that steering the business towards where we think the most value is for our products and our, our, our um, technologies. So, um, but again, my opinion, Rasmus, feel free to. Yeah, no, I'm in the same camp. And so I live in a B2B world. So. We, I mean, I think what uh, Till might be referring to is somebody called product-led that it's just like self-service online drives all the kind of the product decisions based on metrics and data. But in my world, it's like you need, to, just as you say, you have to create a clear articulated roadmap that drive back to business value. How is this going to help increase my top line growth? How is it going to help reduce churn? How is it going to make my product more sticky? Those are really the three key things for me. And if I don't have a strong, clear articulated roadmap, my sales teams are going to come back with a quest because there's nothing for them to negotiate with with customers. So I think it's so important for product to come back to the rest of the organization and say, hey, this is where we're going. My former boss at Salesforce, Mark Benioff, always said you have to go to the future and you have to bring your customers with you into the future. Um, so I think that's what really what products should be doing, like showing the path to the future. And, and by the way, maybe I'll just clarify uh, uh, for any of the sales guys that I'm working with. Um, so so uh, uh, inevitably, these things end up being a balance in ACT, right? I, I think uh, maybe rephrase it as a product first culture, right? So, you know, we want to lead, we want to, we want to be driving uh, the direction towards new value and great things for the business. But inevitably, there will be stuff that we have to react to uh, on a regular basis. That means, you know, short term, we have to take something out of the roadmap to to accommodate a key customer win or an unhappy customer or, or whatever it is, right? So, <clears throat> so product led maybe was the wrong terminology. So uh, let, let's go with maybe a product first uh, mentality. Because you follow the framework all the time. Follow the framework. <laughs> yeah, all my product colleagues will hate me for saying that, and all the commercial sales guys will be like, "Yeah, too right." So uh, hopefully, we've we've uh, we've uh, struck the right balance. Yeah, I think especially in a B2B context, uh, really understanding the customer needs in the right way and also understanding that you basically when you speak about customers uh, from a product perspective, your sales team also is part of your like stakeholder landscape that yeah. you need to make happy and that you need to incorporate in the way that you do things. So. Yeah, to be to build the, a successful product, you'll need to give the sales team something like a roadmap, uh, uh, yeah, at hand, but also give them some freedom when coming back with requests from customers, because that's I think one of the most difficult uh, balances to strike in my own B two B experience, that uh, sales has a lot of exposure to customers. 
Now they have a different type of exposure than you have when the, you basically just approach the topic from the perspective of, well, I want to build the product that really serves the market as a whole the best because they're very focused on one specific customer that they, are, they now have kind of sitting in front of them and that they want to basically make happy enough to be willing to spend money on your product. So you, you still need to figure out how to give the right wiggle room in your roadmap uh, without now losing kind of the, the whole focus and the whole future that you're trying to build with your product. Uh, again, this is not something easy to, to solve. And there's a, I don't believe there is a standard framework yet that you can just apply and say, <laughs> this is how you, you solve the problem. But it's rather something where you, yeah, even as an organization, you need to learn how the different people in your organization work and how they think about things and how do you convey the information in the right way to those, uh, those individuals making those choices. How do you convey to the salesperson, yes, we've thought about these things and here are the reasons why we don't want to go into this direction and here are the proof points we as a B2B company might need in order to actually adapt the way uh, that we're moving forward. Because especially in B2B, I think you also need to make a, a lot of trade-offs between short-term and long-term. Because basically with customers, you buy more future, so to speak, because you have more time all of a sudden to, to do other things. So it's, uh, I think, a, a, yeah, a very challenging environment from a product perspective to really go into a, a product first culture uh, where you need to basically trade off a lot of these different things and also make these decisions actually transparent and easy for others to also kind of follow along. I think it has to be fair and balanced, right? So you need to listen to everybody and uh, you need to listen to customers, to sales, to marketing, to finance. I mean, that's uh, I think some other product people make the mistake of thinking they know everything and they don't need to take input and then you also end up going in the wrong direction, right? So, you know, we unfortunately, I mean, I know for myself, I don't, unfortunately don't know everything. So I need to rely on other people as well for, for ideas. It's interesting, earlier you mentioned, I think it was your question, you talked about uh, uh, structure and frameworks uh, in a product organization. And, and one of the things that I think uh, um, the product organizations I've worked in recently um, are very good at is stakeholder engagements. And there is a regular, I don't want to mention particular frameworks, but there are uh, regular uh, um, set meetings where uh, the product guys will uh, deliberately uh, engage with all stakeholders across the business. Um, and I think that is critical to being product led, right, is, is stakeholder uh, involvement, engagement in what you're doing, right? Because inevitably in those things, you know, there will be questions, well, what, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this and not the thing the customer's screaming at me for? Well, it's because, you know, moving forward, um, this is what we believe in. So I, I do think that, um, is one of the many plus sides of having uh, structure in place is, is those regular um, stakeholder engagements and, and that ability to uh, you know dampen down maybe the questions of, of why we're doing uh, X over Y. Um, so uh, yeah. I think that's another interesting aspect around the maturity of the organization and the leadership in when you can tell a customer no, that I'm not going to build what you're asking for, even if it's important to the customer and the customer can then react to it, it creates a more trusted relationship with the customer, right? Because they can respond to it, right? And I think a lot of uh, companies and people make the mistake that you cannot tell the customer no. 
It's one of the hardest learnings for new product managers, in my opinion. I, I remember doing it and I hated it. Um, because it's, it is when the, when the sales guys put you in front of the customer and you have to tell them no and why. Uh, and I think I think that's where many product managers earn their stripes is that is that tough conversation of um, yeah. you know, trying to explain um, the direction you're heading in and why it doesn't necessarily meet the direction the customer wants to head in. Yeah, I think this is also a nice tie back to the, the positivity topic again, because uh, there uh, you don't want to have a product person that is in front of a customer once and then, uh, yeah, the salesperson tells you, please do not invite them to the call to the, the customers <laughs> again because of the way they said no. So the skill of really saying no in such conversations and also building the company culture, and that's, I think, also the tie back between product culture and company culture building a company culture where it's okay to say no to a customer and really explain, well, this is not possible right now, or where you also as a company have an understanding of that you want to achieve something with your product that's bigger than this one customer. Yeah. To Rasmus's point earlier, I think mentality is a big part of that. You know, having people with the right mentality, the right skill set, the right um, uh, manner is not the word I'm looking for, but the you know that, the right personality where they can have a difficult conversation with a customer uh, that isn't necessarily going in the direction. You know that that mentality uh, of the product manager I think is is key to having the right culture. So um, yeah, I agree. Okay, chaps. Um, any other points there? This, this has been a very autonomous podcast, by the way. You guys have just <laughs> taken over and went, went through your, your own things, which I absolutely love. Does anyone have any final points before we close for the day? I don't think so. Not from my perspective. It was really good chat to you guys. So, um, no, no. Oh, let's do this again sometime. <laughs> Right then, chaps, we'll leave it there. I appreciate it. Um, Rasmus, David, Till, really appreciate taking out your time today, jumping on the podcast. And thank you all for listening. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. Thank you very much.